What's going on? My name is Six Salim, and you are tuned into a Six Fishes exclusive interview. My guest today from Atlanta, Cato on the track, bitch. What's going on, My man? Man, sick. What's going on, bro? Glad to be here. Thank you for doing this, man. Before I start, I gotta ask you right off the bat: Did you write your own Wikipedia page? Nah. <laughs> we we getting right into it. Um, nah, my Wikipedia, if I can remember correctly, it's been up for a while, but um, I remember contributing some information. But when I got signed to Funk Volume, which was the independent label that I was a part of, I don't know if they had PR or someone on the team that uh, that like added a lot of information, but. I remember that's when I found out about the Wikipedia page. Um, yeah, so I guess it's still up. That's great because um, I was reading. I was reading through it obviously because like, what better place to get research than Wikipedia? But <laughs> right. Um, no, I was reading through and there's a lot of stuff on there that kind of caught my attention, and I want to run those by you. So I'm gonna throw some words from you that at you that I got from there, and you know, just tell me what they mean to you. Cool. Please do. All right. So Taekwondo. Man, <laughs> so obviously, you know, I'm Asian, and uh, one of the first things that my dad enrolled me in, just like activities-wise, when I was a kid, was Taekwondo, and, you know, it's the, like, national sport of Korea, obviously, I'm Korean, and so I did that for a really, really long mm -hmm. time, probably around, like, 15 years uh, so I did it all throughout like elementary, high school, college even. And I even after college, like I taught, I taught classes for a little bit just to like hold down a part-time job because that's all I knew how to do really. Um, so I was like doing that and doing music on the side. So yeah, man, if you watch like some of my earliest music videos with Jaron Benton, um, we actually like are in the school that I was teaching at, Shit, okay. teaching classes at, and they let us like shoot part of the music video there. That's great. Can't underestimate real MCs, AKA Cure. Cure. Shit. <laughs> Cure was the first rap group that I was a part of. It was me and my homie Oathman. Uh, we were high school buddies and then like we went, ended up going to a college in the same town, Philadelphia. Uh, and we both started like kind of rapping and I started making beats at the same time. So we kind of teamed up and, and made cure and started doing shows. And yeah, that was the first kind of rap experience that I had. So before I get back on that, um, I'm going to throw one more word at you. Then I'm going to touch more on the, on cure for a bit. Um, the Atlanta collaboration event. Atlanta collab. So that is a, uh, it's kind of like a showcase for Asian Americans um, that have some sort of talent, mostly in the entertainment industry. So, you know, really early on in my career, when I was still rapping, collaboration was one of the first kind of platforms to give me a stage and put me on. Um, and it was kind of a big thing, like in the Asian American community, at least here in Atlanta. And they're still running, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So shout out to Collaboration. Nice. That's great. Um, so, yeah, let's just back on, on Cure real quick. You said you were rapping for a bit. Yeah. Um, do you still rap? Do you still write bars every now and again? No. no? <laughs> not <laughs> no at more? all, bro. So at what point did you realize you wanted to just focus on the producing side? I would say around the time that I met Jaron, 
is when I started to take production more seriously. Um, so that must have been around 2009, maybe, 2008, 2009. And then I, I, I slowly started to just focus more on production. Okay, nice. So your name is Cato, obviously. Um, did you always go by this name or did you have another moniker when you were rapping? I had a couple different monikers. Okay. Do you and remember any of them? Yeah, they're super embarrassing. Um, <laughs> my first one, when I was in Cure, when I started Cure with my homie, uh, I was going by Juicy because my, my government name is, my last name okay. is Jew. Okay. Uh, and my first name is Chris. So it would be like Jew.C and then I kind of <laughs> did a word play. Okay. <laughs> myself Juicy. I know it's fire. In, in the moment, um, in the moment, you're probably thinking like, Yo, "That's a sick ass name, right?" Yeah. <laughs> Yo, and I was like super backpack hip hop. Yeah. You know, so I was all about like fucking wordplay and like, "Yo, people are gonna love this shit." <laughs> I thought it was super dope. That's um, fun. And then a couple years went by, and I was like, "Damn, I need to change this shit." So then, you know, I don't know why I went with something. If it was possible to come up with a worse name i definitely came up with a worse name <laughs> um and so I, I my second moniker was uh incarnation okay uh <laughs> yeah so and then after incarnation i had that for maybe like a year or two okay um and then i chose kato so what i read was kato came from bruce Lee's character in the green hornet correct yeah so yep. why, like, what, why Kato? Now, why are you stuck with this name? What's so significant about it? Bruce Lee was like my idol growing up, bro. Because as a kid, we didn't have many Asian American idols to look up to, and he was one of the only ones that was. It was like him, Jackie Chan, and like that was it, you know? <laughs> right? Um, and so, yeah, I just, I just really looked up to him as a kid, um, and so. You know, as I got older, I was like, what can I do to kind of pay homage, pay tribute to that? And so I just I did my research, found like came across the Green Hornet and I uh, just kind of took that name. Nice. Nice. So that led to your now famous tag, Kikakato on the track, bitch. Yeah. Can you talk about how that tag came to be? Um, it was a it was in a song. I want to say it was a song that me and Jaren did called Shut Up Bitch because that's Jaren's voice right. on, on my tag. Right. And I think in that song, Shut Up Bitch, just like in the intro, you know, he just shouted me out. He was like, <laughs> the Kato on the track, bitch. And uh, I took that little soundbite and just made it my tag and ran with it. Nice. What's, uh, what's the significance of a beat tag or producer tag to you? What would you say? I just think it's a it's a branding thing, you know. It's almost like, you know, when these brands like McDonald's has their I'm loving it, you know, like every a lot of brands have their own kind of tagline. Uh, so it's the same thing for producers. Like it's just something that we are identified by, and when people hear the tag, they know it's our our production or our beat. So do you know? Do you think there's a right or wrong way to use a tag? Because I read once, like when I was younger, that. Um... Producers that kind of throw their beat tags throughout the beat are quote unquote using it wrong. Do you get what I'm saying? Is there a wrong way to use it? Um, 
I mean, I guess if it's like super annoying or <laughs> it kind of just like, you know, messes up the whole vibe of the beat. Right. I haven't really heard any producer beat tags that that are like that, though. I mean, most of them are pretty quick, pretty short, mm-hmm. like kind of subtle. Um, yeah. So I, I haven't heard any beat tags that fuck it up. Fair enough. So you were born and you kind of grew up in Fairfax, Virginia yeah. for a bit. Um, then you moved to Philly, later settled in Atlanta. Um, yeah. If you can remember, what are some of the key differences in the hip-hop culture that you noticed from these three places? Man, it was a lot, you know, to be honest. Well, first of all, I wasn't really making music when I was in Virginia. My my music journey didn't start until Philly. Um, and the scene there was just like, you know, Philly hip-hop is just like raw, gritty, you know, it's like the roots, uh, like Jedi mind tricks. Um, I was like heavily inspired by producers like Premier and Jay Dilla. So it was like just that raw, gritty East Coast boom bap type of sound. And then I moved to Atlanta and it kind of turned my whole world upside down because it was like all snap music and it was like down south music. It had a different uh, groove. It had a different tempo like the artists were rapping on the beats different and so that really opened my eyes to down south hip-hop um and it started to influence my sound obviously so i kind of adopted that and you know mixed it with my influences from philly and just tried to create my own sound so trying to create your own sound from there how do you feel it, it, it affected it in the current sound that you have today like do you draw influence a lot more from from the philly side or from the atlanta side or a little bit of both i'd say a little bit of both i think it it definitely made my sound more broad uh because anyone that really knows my catalog and my production knows that i do some of a little bit of the the just like raw hip-hop boom bap real organic type of sound Um, But I also do the trap sound. Um, And sometimes I kind of like merge both of those sounds together. So, yeah, I think um, I think I kind of took those two and and made it my own in a lot of ways. Um, You know, and that's what I consider to be my sound today. Fair enough. Uh, So who's on your playlist, man? What artists, producers are you listening to now? Man, to be honest with you, um, right now, I listen to the artists that I work with. And I think I do that just so I can, if I'm working with them, I really want to draw inspiration from like what what their sound is and almost like be a, be put myself in their shoes of like what they like and what they want to hear. So, yeah, I mean, I'm working with a couple different artists right now. Um, 30 is obviously like this new artist that I found on Instagram that I'm investing a lot of my time and energy into right now. Uh, so to be honest, like I listen to a lot of his shit and the music that we're making together and I'm drawing more inspiration and we're just kind of in that creative zone right now. So um, yeah. that's what I'm listening to. Yeah, I've, been, I've heard some of 30's tracks like through your Instagram too, and um, I think it was yesterday or the other day you posted Lil Rappaport. Is he actually like Rappaport's son? Or is that just a joke? <laughs> he looks like it, bro. He does. It's, it's so funny. You know, someone 
said that on my Instagram, like when I first started posting about 30, someone made that comment, but it's just kind of like escalated since then. Like everyone just keeps saying he looks like uh, Lil Rappaport. And I hit up Michael Rappaport through yeah. his DMs and he responded the same day and he was like, yo, I fucks with Lil yeah. Rappaport. <laughs> so funny. we might have to make that our next mixtape out, uh, title or something. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's straight. He's real good. Um, the one track he did, I can't remember the name off the top of my head right now. He's like singing. I to remember. The, I think it was the one you produced that track too. Yeah. Just that one minute sample, hearing that over and over and over again. You know, listening to the full track, it's dope. It's real good, man. Thank so, you. Any artist that you currently find? I know you said you listen to the artists that you kind of work with, but is there any artist that you stand out that you want to reach out to that you want to work with, whether up and coming or established? Um, I mean, I'd hate to give the generic answer of like anyone that wants to work with me but um let's see i really like i really like ski mask i think we could make some crazy shit together um i like Lil baby um i like duh baby <laughs> i like both babies both babies <laughs> um yeah man i mean that would be my short list. Fair enough. Um, you and Jaren came up together, kind of like a producer-artist duo, I guess you could say. Um, I know for myself, I discovered you through Jaren once he signed to Funk Volume. and um, So I'm going to list some producer-artist duos, and you rank them from one to five, one being the most in terms of who you think has had the most influence on the hip-hop culture as a whole. Cool? So number one, Missy Elliott and Timbaland. Number two, Ja Rule and Irv Gotti. Number three, Drake and Forty. Number four, Gucci Mane and Zaytoven. And number five, of course, Eminem and Dr. Dre. Oh, man. Let's go back to one. So the first one was Missy and, and Timbaland, right? Yeah. So you ranked them from one to five in terms of who you think had the most influence towards the least. Oh, shit <laughs> you gave me a fucking crazy ass list i don't know if i can do that <laughs> just right off top you know out of everyone that you named i would yeah. put them all in like the five category uh <laughs> yeah i mean i really don't think there were any weak links and name them again go so, through the list missy yeah. and timbaland jaw rule and irv Gotti, drake and 40 Gucci Mane and Zaytoven, Eminem and Dr. Dre. Influential. Man, I mean, with the exception of like, maybe, and I'd hate to say this because, you know, they had a big moment too, but like Rule and Gotti, I might put them like somewhere in the middle, uh, but everyone else, like I would put them at a five. Would you feel that, um, I guess Drake and 40 guys being the more newer artists to the list, would you feel that they still have stuff to prove in terms of influence to the culture? No, I think they've, I it's... think they've proved it. I think it's solidified, bro. Like, you know, I just, I just saw somewhere today that Drake has more top 100 hits than the Beatles like that's fucking crazy like if that doesn't tell you what kind of influence Drake has had on on our culture for almost the past decade uh like 
you know, Drake birthed a lot of these rappers today, just in terms of his sound and like the way he blends his rapping with his singing and the melodies and just the overall vibe. Like, yeah, I think I think they're up there with with the Dre and Eminem's. Was there anybody on that list that you think, um, like that's like untouchable in terms of they're the top of the you know cream of the crop type thing? Dre and M. Dre and M. Why is that? I mean, personally, just because they influenced me so much. Uh, I remember in the beginning when I first started producing, all my beats sounded like Dre. I was trying to make all my shit sound exactly like his beats. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's had a hit, huge influence on me. And, and M is just like, he's a goat, man. Like, you can't, you can't take shit away from him. Yeah. Did you fuck with Kamikaze? Uh, I did, I did, but you know, not as much as his earlier stuff, but I think that's, I think that's normal. And, and even still, like, even if he continues to drop albums, you know, that are not super well-received or not as favored as his old albums, to me, he's still a goat. Like you can't take away the, the accomplishments that he's had and the influence that he's had on, on hip hop, even to this day. So yeah, definitely. Still a goat, man. One hundred percent. He's the one that got me into hip hop too. He was the first artist I ever heard, and kind of like drove me in the direction that I am today. So, yeah. I, I agree one hundred percent, man. Yeah, bro. When recording your albums and EPs, you know, such as the Time series or Kato's Revenge, etc., I'm sure you were in studio with the artist, right? Kind of giving the direction, the drive, the way you want it to be. Um, but when artists purchase beats from your your beat store, or you just send them beats, do you still get a say in the recording process and the direction of the track, or do you kind of just let them do it and then? You know, you make the song, it is what it is. It, not as much, obviously, when I'm sending beats through email or, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm not as involved in the process. Um, and so I'm, I've become a little bit more selective about who I give my time and energy to. Like, you really, when I first started out, I'd get in the studio with anyone. You know, anyone that wanted to work, I'd pull up to the studio and, and lock in with them. But now, you know, I'm at the point in my career where I only want to invest my time and energy into artists that I truly, truly believe in and that have the work ethic. Um, because that's a big thing to me. Like, I just I can't be wasting time, you know. So uh, an artist has to bring a, a particular kind of skill set to the table for me to really fuck with them like that fair enough um you've worked with icons in the game man you know chameleonaire bob wu-tang you know as well as other big names in the industry that are like, i guess like i said more on the newer side like hops and toy lanes joiner lucas what are some differences that you've noticed working with like the i guess the old school artists versus the newer ones like is there some in the studio is there different vibes is there different um energy it's hard to say, man. I mean, every artist is different. Every artist has a different process. Um, I'm I'm lucky that I've never been in the studio. I don't think that I can remember where an artist just had like a crazy ego or it wasn't an enjoyable experience. Um, yeah, I've been I've been fortunate to to work with a lot of just really talented individuals. So. 
but as far as like the process, I think every artist is different. Every artist has their own thing. Some artists actually prefer to just get beats sent to their email and they want to vibe out kind of alone. Mm -hmm. And I respect that. Other artists prefer to be in the studio with you and like cook up, you know, whether that's just playing tracks for them or cooking up from scratch. Um, so I think it's important for a producer to kind of be well-rounded in that aspect to have the experience of knowing how to work with a lot of different types of creative processes because uh, not every artist is the same. Right. Uh, so Nasty Tracks, I want to talk about that a little bit. Is it also, it's, a, it's your beat store, but is it also your label? Yeah, it's my, uh, I mean, I guess legally it's, it's like my LLC, which is my company. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it started out as, as my, just my beat store, you know, somewhere that I'd sold beats online and, uh, it's still going strong to this day. So if you were to sign a producer to your, to your label or to your, bring them onto your group, besides originality, yeah. what's something you're looking for? Uh, I'm looking for someone who has passion, someone who has work ethic and someone that can bring a unique kind of sound to the table something that i can't necessarily offer mm -hmm. um because i think that's how you kind of truly grow and scale is by just offering a lot of dope music um and so yeah i mean those are the top three things i noticed on your beat store there's a lot of uh kato and whatever producer do you do a lot of collaboration with producers I do a lot, man. Yeah. And some of those collabs are are just like homies of mine that I collaborated on beats with. Um, but a lot, a lot of those are pay collabs, you know, because I charge for collabs and a lot of producers, you know, they'll pay it. We'll collab on a beat. I'll put it up in my beat store, do a 50-50 revenue split. And a lot of them are getting hella paid from those uh, from those beat licenses. And then not only that, but I'll also shop it out for placements to artists that I know that are always hitting me up for beats. Yo, I'm working on an album. Send me some tracks. Uh, so I'll shop it for placements. And I've gotten a lot of producers their first placements um, just through that collab opportunity. So how, how can people go about and reach you for that collab? KatoOnTheTrack.com slash collabs. Simple enough. <laughs> so aside from being a producer, you're also an entrepreneur. As you just mentioned, you know, you do you sell beats and all that stuff too. But one thing that stood out to me was the Music Entrepreneur Club. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about that, what it is, how it got started? Yeah, Music Entrepreneur Club is an online music business and education platform that I started uh, with my two partners, Dame Ritter and DJ Payne One. And originally, w once I got off of Funk Volume, once that whole situation ended, I actually started my own mentorship program called Beat Club, which was just for producers. And that kind of evolved into what's now today Music Entrepreneur Club. I ended up partnering with uh, Dame. He had started his own program called Music Entrepreneur Club, which was more catered towards artists and label owners and managers, that type of thing. And so it made sense to me that we partner on it and just blow it up. And I ended up bringing on my my homie uh, Payne just because he's uh, so knowledgeable in the 
music business and you know he's well connected he has his own accolades so we brought him on and uh it's been no looking back ever since and we have a tour coming up in august august 4th through the 11th we'll be going to atlanta dc new york philly and boston and just doing these pop-up collabs um in front of artists and producers so you buy a ticket you show up and you basically learn how to create a successful career in the music business for yourself where can people get these tickets uh mectour.com cool uh one thing i wanted to ask about that was obviously feel free to not answer if you don't want to when people like they start their own businesses and everything how important do you think it is that people need to realize that you got to work for free for a bit before you can start making revenue do you get what i'm saying I think it's really important for people to understand that because, I mean, just look at the environment of, of music where we're at. Like everyone in their mom is trying to be an artist or a producer or a DJ. It's highly, highly competitive. Um, so if you're not doing free work here and there, it's going to be really hard for you because there's going to be someone else right in line behind you that's going to be willing to do that work for free or give that artist a beat for free, you know, or offer their services for free. Like it's just way too many, it's way too competitive out here to think that you can come out the gate, just charging for your beats and thinking that people will pay for it. You know, you have to establish brand value. You have to establish credibility in the industry. You have to hustle. Like it took me damn near 10 years to just get to the point where I could start to make money off of my music. Before then, it was a struggle every step of the way. And I was I still do free work to this day. If I believe in the artist or, you know, if I uh, have a situation where I feel like I can gain something from the relationship, then, yeah, I'll, I'll give them a beat for free. I don't care. Um, so, you know, if I'm doing free shit, like a new producer who doesn't have any credits or doesn't have any sort of uh, brand recognition on online, like it's going to be hard for him. Fair enough. You sell your own sample packs and you also give some away for free. Do you really, do you feel like producers having their own kits or their own sample packs is a benefit? I don't think you have to, um, but I don't think it can hurt for two reasons. I think number one, Actually, maybe even for three reasons. Number one, it's good for brand uh, because more people are going to recognize you the more people that are using your sounds. Like, I know it did amazing things for my homie Decap. Uh, I know Illmind does the uh, sample packs. My homies uh, Cymatics do the sample packs. It's done amazing things for their brand. Uh, number two, it's a great revenue stream if you know what you're doing and you know how to market it and brand it uh, and set up the infrastructure. Um, and number three, like a lot of producers are catching placements from their sample packs. That's kind of become the new hustle in the music industry is like, I put out a shit ton, just cast a wide net, put a shit ton of sample packs out there. Producers start to use them. They catch a placement. And then depending on the terms of who created those samples, like you might be entitled to some publishing. Um, so I think those three options have made it a really valuable um, 
you know, not just revenue stream, but opportunity for a lot of new producers. Right. Do you use any other sample packs besides your own? Yeah, I use a ton. I use Splice. I get sample packs from like other producer homies, random people on IG send me sample packs. I mean, it's just the market's flooded, you know, so there's like there's no shortage of sounds or loops or one shots uh, tools really for producers to use. I got some friends that like they'll swap packs. You know what I mean? Like he'll be like, "I got this one, you got that one." They'll swap their packs, so it's like, it lo- it's a beneficial thing, like you said for sure. You know, it helps the producer grow as well. So definitely straight. For sure. Being of Asian descent in the hip hop world, <laughs> I gotta t- touch on this one real quick. What kinds of difficulties, racism, or obstacles did you encounter that you believe have now made you stronger and pushed you to achieve your goals? Um, I never dealt with any racism. Um. You know, maybe it's because I, I live in a city like Atlanta where it's 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 pretty diverse. And uh, usually when I when I would go to like any sort of hip hop event, it was either mixed or it was like all black people, you know, <laughs> like it was we were all minorities at the end of right. the day. Uh, so I never dealt with any racism. I think if anything, people might have looked at me like, yo, who's this? fucking skinny ass nerdy scrawny looking (laughs) asian dude walking into this hip-hop showcase you know right so they might have like underestimated me but i think that's a good thing i think if you can use that and have really great music then it makes you more memorable people remember you because you're that because now you're that dope asian kid that makes fire ass beats you know so it makes you more memorable it makes you stick out uh but the music has to be good, you know, otherwise it's just like another, another producer. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there are probably more advantages than disadvantages to being different. Yeah. Are you in touch with your Korean roots at all? Do you speak the language? Have you gone back home? Man, I wish I was, I wish I'd spoke the language better. I grew up, you know, in a, my parents are first generation Korean immigrants, but um, my mom is like super Americanized. She speaks perfect English. My dad was a businessman, so he had to work with a lot of Americans. And so he speaks pretty good English. Um, so for the most part, like growing up, I spoke English at home, kind of like half and half, half Korean, half English. Uh, but I went to like American schools. All my friends were, you know, they all spoke English. So it was hard for me to hold on to to the language growing up. Um, and so as you get older, you just kind of lose that, but I still understand it. You know, I can understand pretty much everything. I just can't speak very well. Um, but yeah, bro. I mean, like outside of that, like I love Korean food, got to eat Korean food, like at least a couple times a week, you know? Um, so yeah, I had Korean barbecue for the first time a few months ago. It's real, real oh, good. Man, what'd you think? amazing bro it was banging right great so i know you said you work on the music entrepreneur club with dame from funk volume but post disbandment how's your relationship like with the other members it's good i still talk to everyone um yeah i mean my relationship's good still good with everyone on the label um there's still you know a couple of them don't get along with each other but Mm -hmm. me personally i i get along with everyone and uh, there's no bad blood on, on my end at all. 
Have you sent him any more beats recently? Any of them? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jaron's here in Atlanta. You know, I, I, I saw him not too long ago. Um, and I sent Hobson a bunch of tracks probably a couple weeks ago. Uh, Dizzy, I have uh, a placement on his new album, which was also a collab beat that I collaborated with another producer on through my beat store. Um, so that was on his last album. And uh, I saw Swizz in L.A. back in April. Mm-hmm. So, and then me and Hoppa are about to collaborate on some beats together. So oh, yeah. we're all kind of just like still, still working just on an individual basis. Fair enough. I just saw Hop bought a Lambo for the first time. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, bro. Hop, Hop, uh, <laughs> Hop, low key got some O's in his bank account. It was just, I just, it's crazy because like I remember watching him do his like Elmina Hops in one in basement. You know what I'm saying? Sitting there and like the tiny chat and me and him just having a conversation a couple times. Now he's in a Lambo and it's like it's weird to see that. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Hop, if you're watching this, I <laughs> mean, let me hold on to the Lambo for a weekend, bro. <laughs> oh, man. So what's coming up for you, man? Any projects you got coming up? Yeah, man. I think this is a good opportunity to say that we, me and 30 have an EP uh, dropping on the 30th. Um, and so that's kind of a surprise that... Uh, Obviously, this podcast will probably be out by the by the time the the album's out. But we have a project dropping on the thirtieth. It's a four track EP. Um, most people have probably already heard the two singles, "To My Detriment" and "I Remember." And then we have two more really really dope songs on the project. Uh, so I'm going to continue to work with Thirty. I think he's that kid's like next up, man. If like just mark my words. I've I've I haven't been wrong about these things. I've been pretty good about predicting and working with artists like very early on in their careers before they blow up. Um and I I so fully believe that 30's up next. Um so yeah, working with him um and I got a couple other placements that that I can't say anything yet, but um I have some more music coming. So I see on videos on Instagram that, you know, people come up to you and that you've asked you questions and you answer them. It looks like you're at a convention or something. So real quick, in 30 seconds, what are some advice you can give to up-and-coming producers? I would say first piece of advice I would give is to surround yourself by people that inspire you, people that you can learn from, people that just make you better. You know, I think that's really, really important. And I think it's undervalued in in a lot of the new generation of like producers and artists because it's all about social media now. Like everyone thinks that you just need clout to get on. But you really have to uh, challenge yourself to learn the game, learn the business, perfect your craft. And that's really hard to do if you're just sitting in a bedroom all by yourself, just making beats every day or making music every day, you know? So I think one of the best things that I did for my career was I started putting myself around people that were smarter than me, that knew more about the the business than me, knew more about music, uh, put myself around like people that inspired me to be more creative and to kind of step outside the box and think outside of the box. Um, and it ultimately made me a better producer and a better entrepreneur. And that's why I'm here today, you know? So I really, really think that is 
such an important thing to do um, to just get outside of your your studio bedroom and start putting yourself around. That's why I film events like that. You know, that's why I go out to these networking events, even still, because I still find people, you know, I'm still inspired by people uh, just going out to random events in Atlanta. You know, I'll come across other creators or other producers, artists that are just so passionate about what they do. Um, and that inspires me. So even someone like me, I'm still trying to challenge myself to get out there and, and be uncomfortable, do things that I, I normally wouldn't do. So I think that's a really important thing to do. For sure, man. So where can people find you, man, your social media handles? Uh, everywhere, at Kato Producer, K-A-T-O Producer, one word. Uh, Kato Hip Hop on YouTube and um, KatoOnTheTrack.com, MusicEntrepreneurClub.com, NastyTracks.com. I'm everywhere, bro. I'll link everything in the description for you, buddy. Perfect. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate this, your time, you know, taking all this time out for me. And of course. Yeah, man, you can follow me on 6 Salim. It's S-I-K underscore S-A-L-E-E-M on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, 6 Visions Media, YouTube, 6 Visions Media. Cato, thank you again, man. Appreciate it. God bless. And we'll, My bro, uh, sick. Appreciate you, bro. Thank you.